welcome back to One More Thing, episode four, coming at you. I've been thinking one of the things that everyone who's in education right now is going through or testing, testing, testing. People are graduating, colleges are finishing up for the semester. I'm watching students that I taught four years ago graduate from college all over the place, Berkeley, Indiana, Stanford, Harvard, all over the place. It's awesome. Graduation such a cool cool time for people. I mean, high school graduation is great. You're starting the next step of your next journey. College graduation is awesome and scary at the same time. My college graduation was pretty much the worst, worst I've ever been a part of. And I've only actually sat through a couple of different graduation ceremonies in my life. But mine was so bad because I had strep throat while graduation was going on. And I'm pretty sure I was just laying in my chair, hoping that the graduation ceremony would get over fast enough so that I wouldn't get heat stroke while also having strep throat at the same time. Strep throat was the worst. And I used to get that so much. I don't know what happened, but at some point in life, my immune system decided that I didn't need it strep throat again. Knock on wood. But graduation ceremonies can be absolutely terrible, right? I mean, the best graduation ceremonies are over quickly. It's like you pay all this money, especially college. You pay all this money. You get the whole four-year gradu- you know, thing going on. You have hopefully some kind of speaker that you possibly remember. And then they read names for hours, what feels like hours. I remember going to my sister's graduation at Cal Poly, and I swear the name calling was just endless, 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 endless. High school graduation's coming up pretty soon, a couple weeks away. I mean, at least a month away now, a little less than a month. And graduation's a good time. I mean, high school graduates, man, don't they get the worst questions? All of us ask them the same question, right? Over and over again. What are you, where are you going to college? What are you doing with your life? What major are you going to be? I mean, you're 17, 18 years old. Why are you answering that question at 17 or 18 years old? What are you doing with your life? I mean, there's millennials that are 30 years old that have no idea what they're doing with their life. I mean, look, half the millennial generation switches jobs every 10 minutes. They go from one tech job to another tech job to another tech job. And don't get me wrong. My sister's one of them. She's one of the most successful people I know. And yet she's worked so many different jobs. Most people in the generation before, the baby boomers, if you told them I have worked for five or six different companies before the age of 30, they'd be like, are you broke? Are you insane? It's a different generation. It's a different world we live in. And I'm sitting here watching our high school students who are all taking their AP tests in these next couple weeks. And I mean, it's awesome. They get to... Obviously, if they do well, they get to waive some college credit and, you know, they spend all this time and all the AP teachers feel like it's, you know, kind of their baby in a way. So they're doing all the extra work and review sessions and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully it helps. And you never know what's going to help each student. Each student learns a little bit differently and each student prepares a little bit differently. And you're always worried about the student that prepares, over prepares to the point where they get to the test and just freeze. I mean, sure, most of us get to that point in life where we're super overprepared for something and then we get to the actual moment of delivery and decide, hmm, I was drastically overprepared. 
that was way easier than I thought. Or the opposite, where you get there and you're like, okay, now I can't get past my first thought. How did this happen? But AP testing, I mean, realistically, we have changed testing drastically in our country, but I feel like, and I'm an educator, we over-test our kids so much. Why do we test them so much? You go to certain countries in the world, and actually, if you go to probably the top five education countries in the world, most of them do not test their kids very often. They do summative testing, and they obviously know where they're, they are most of the time, but the test is not the goal. The experience, the learning is the goal. And as a teacher, I think the worst question I always get, and this is the question that I'm sure if you're a student that I've had or a student that I teach or something, and you hear, and you probably said this question, I'm not saying that your question was bad, but the, the one that is kind of perturbing is the one that, um, Cyril, how will this affect my grade? That's one of the worst questions ever in the scope of education. Because realistically, your grade really, and I get it, colleges care about your grades and your parents care about your grades. And don't get me wrong, I care about your grades as a teacher. But if you're so consumed with what the grade actually is, where are we? What are we doing? What's the point? We're doing it just for the grade? And to me, this is in a lot of ways the way our society is. We're so results oriented that process doesn't matter a lot. And realistically, what's sad about that statement is that process matters. I mean, you look at the greatest athletes in the world, and I know that athletics seems to be a go-to for me, but unfortunately, I'm an athlete, so that happens, right? But you look at the greatest athletes that we actually have, and the ones that are truly great are the ones that actually put in all the extra work that no one saw. And it was about process and the actual event was just them being able to do what they do naturally because they've been so practiced and ready for it. And it's the same in everything. It's the same in any type of life pursuit. Now, obviously, you have those special people. I, you know, in AP Euro, I'm so lucky to teach. Their first, first unit we do is the Renaissance. So I get to talk about your Michelangelo's and your Da Vinci's and all. A guy like Michelangelo was born great. He just was able to do things no one else could do. The Sistine Chapel is the perfect example. I mean, the guy literally almost hates painting. He does it only so that he can do sculpture because sculpture is his true, beautiful, like that's to him his expression of what he does best. And yet he's so good that they commission him, the Vatican commissions him to do the Sistine Chapel in a art style he'd never really done before. And he ends up essentially creating a masterpiece over the course of four years two separate four-year periods. When he did the ceiling, that was four years. And then he does the altarpiece, and that's another two to four years. And he does it in a way where he had never used the actual material before. And then it's perfect. And you would think, wait, a sculptor shouldn't be painting the way that he is doing it. But he was the greatest. And so he's born that way. And some of us are lucky enough to be born that way. But you would think someone like a Michael Jordan was born great at basketball. Greatest story ever is Michael Jordan didn't make his high school team, right? I mean, his freshman or sophomore year, he gets cut from his varsity team. I mean, if that's not enough motivation for you, the guy ends up becoming one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player of all time, and you cut him? I mean, how are, how are you that coach? But realistically, 
what makes a lot of people great is the fuel, the fire that, that burns inside of them that, to be great and to actually put in the effort. And I mean, Michael Jordan's famous for the breakfast club, the guys that would go in, all those Chicago Bulls. And then everyone, once people realized Jordan was in there weightlifting before, you know, hours before practice and, and games, people were like, well, should I, should I be doing that as well? Should I be also lifting? And it's contagious. Greatness is contagious. And it makes me think like when, when everything is about the test, when everything is about the result, and that's the only focus, you lose sight of what's truly good in life. Process is sometimes better than the end result. I, I can tell you the amount of hours I spent hitting balls in a cage at Vanguard University of Southern California. I remember at one time I had the RAs come down because it was 1030 at night and they're like, can you stop hitting? It's too late. I said, but okay. I mean, I was enjoying myself hitting off of a cage uh, machine over and over and over again. It, the process was enjoyable. And when it's not enjoyable, quite honestly, that's when you really honestly should be trying to find to do something else. Because if you're not enjoying the process, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for a grade? And realistically, I realize that our society has created these expectations for these kids that are somewhat real, unrealistic. And the other thing that's actually kind of hilarious is that at the same time, you could have a kid that has a three point something GPA and then all of a sudden they blow the ACT out of the water and it doesn't matter that their GPA is low. I mean, obviously it has to be above a certain, you know, certain level, probably over 3.0 or 3.5, but they don't care anymore if you're a 4.5 student. They care that your ACT was just ridiculous. And so obviously we care about two things in life. If you put in so much work and effort to make sure that your grades are absolutely perfect, or if you're brilliant. And I realize that both of those things are good and they're good life skills. I mean, obviously being brilliant isn't really a life skill, it's more of a gift, but, and we need those people. But at the end of the day, I think with this over-testing, it's kind of sad. And I think about it for my kids my kids. I went high right there, eighth grade. I felt like I just returned to eighth grade. But even my kids, my son is in preschool. And the funny thing and the great thing, in my opinion, about the school that he goes to, he goes to a Montessori school here in Nevada. And Montessori does something that I really like. They let the kids decide what lessons they do. So during the day, they pick out their lessons and they do the ones that suit them. And it's great. We went to their open house the other day and Colton showed all, all the lessons that he does in class. And he likes this certain section. And it's just awesome. I mean, the, the young kids to me are really interesting because you, you get to learn a lot about them, even though they're really young. And there's sections of the school where, you know, you have a kid that really likes to put things together and there's that section. And you got another kid that just likes building from scratch and there's that section. And then there's a puzzle section. And then there's a, a section that looks like the industrial revolution showed up and it started to use children again. And so they started to have three and four year olds starting to build things for you. I mean, they got all sorts of cool stuff inside this preschool. And the thing is the kids and my son particularly, he doesn't dread going to school. He likes to go to school so that he can go and have fun building from scratch, the kid likes to build everything. You, you give him a, a blank canvas and a bunch of blocks and he'll build something. And I think that that's a better way of doing education where you put people in situations where they're able to express themselves 
the way that they see fit. And realistically, we don't need a bunch of clones in our society. Our society is advanced enough where there's a number of different job opportunities for all sorts of different people. You don't need to all be the same. Now, do we need doctors and lawyers and engineers? Absolutely, but I think naturally people are gonna gravitate towards those things. And if you force someone down a road that they're really not going to be successful at, they're not gonna like it. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the biggest things in our society that's an issue that we really don't talk about is mental health. And in my opinion, mental health is linked very closely with this results-oriented society that we just overanalyze everything and try to make sure that everything that we do is about the result. I mean, that kind of pressure on a consistent basis can't be good for your mental health. And unfortunately, we're just not doing a good enough job of trying to deal with mental health on a grand scope. And quite honestly, unfortunately, most of the disasters we have in this society end up becoming more of a political game than they do looking at the actual root of most of the problems, which generally tends to be mental health. So I'm looking at our AP exams and graduation coming up and how we keep asking our kids over and over and over again about their life. Like, what is their life going to be like? I'm 35 years old. I am truly blessed to have the life that I have. Wife, two kids, great house, two cats. I am truly a blessed individual and I honestly am so grateful for everything that I have. And I didn't get to where I'm at because I had planned it out. I didn't plan to be a teacher and a coach and a parent and all that. I was floating through as long as I could to be the athlete that I could be as long as I can, and then we'll figure it out. And at some point, I mean, I know I got all the questions, you know, what are you going to do? What do you like? And I knew I liked history, and I knew I probably was going to major in that. But I actually, my freshman year, decided that I was going to be a non-declared major until I got to be a sophomore. And then I actually remember making the choice to be a history major and enjoying the fact that I had at least tried my freshman year to look at a bunch of different things before I went towards history. Even though I knew that I was probably going to gravitate towards history at some point, I tried other things. I did most of the social sciences, granted, you know, psychology, sociology, cultural anthropology, your history, your political science. And I ended up being a combined major of history and poli-sci. And I felt like that was a choice that was actually made um, with good perspective rather than just out of necessity. And this is what's like something like Cal Poly, which don't get me wrong. I actually think Cal Poly is one of the best schools on the West Coast. A lot of my ex-students went there. My sister went there. It's a great school. San Luis Obispo is a great place. It's a college town. I haven't spent a ton of time there, but when I was there, I felt like, wow, if I had gone to school there or here, this would have been great. Not just because of the bubblegum wall. But one of the things that I think is a real drawback of Cal Poly is you have to essentially declare your major before you go so that they can throw you into all the classes that are going to get you graduated in a timely fashion. And I, I mean, I know my sister had to do that and she had to change her major, I think, twice before she graduated. And it really has a lot to do with, again, the society that we live in, where we're results oriented. Where are you going? How are you getting there? Are you there yet? Process matters. And yet we're not putting enough time and effort into process. And unfortunately, I think one of the reasons why our mental health is high, again, is because we're not thinking about 
people's mental health when we're forcing them into decisions, life decisions that are going to affect the way that they deal with their future. And that's not good enough. Anyway, this was a random rant episode. And I'm going to keep it nice, short, and sweet. And it's going to be a nice, probably the shortest episode of the series. But in the context of AP testing and graduation and all that other kind of stuff, I was thinking about other countries that do something similar but have better results when it comes to education and maybe even mental health. And I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that one of the best, if not the best, education in the world is in Sweden. And Sweden doesn't actually start educating their kids until they're six or seven years old. They actually let them be children before they get into school and do that. And that this was a thing that me and my wife talked about a number of different times before we put Colton into preschool. And one of the reasons why I really liked the option of Montessori is I felt like they weren't going to force him into doing something that wasn't natural. Because at this point, he was able to just kind of make those decisions on his own instead of being forced into this education system that we created during the Industrial Revolution to turn out a bunch of workers. And so I think maybe we need to retune our perspective about what matters and what what types of assessments we're doing of our kids that actually do matter or maybe assess rather the process than the end result. All right, I'm out of here. This was one more thing. I'll see you guys later. Peace.